Let's read through the chapter, if you would, please. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia or of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Uh, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what you have, or we have received, preached, I'm sorry, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a servant, of, a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was it taught, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things, which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, on this beautiful, cool evening, here in London, the final Wednesday night of February, 2015, we come to you, and we lift up our hearts and our hands to you and just say, God, We've come expectant, expectant you to, expecting you to speak through your word, expecting your Holy Spirit to stir up our hearts in such a way that you could, through your word, run them through the crucible of your love, purifying our hearts. And taking this time now and making us more like you. If there be any, Lord, who have yet to say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ within the sound of this voice, that tonight, this final Wednesday, 
of February 2015 be the night when I could say they said yes. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit that you would be seen, not me. Come upon me in such a way, God, that your word would manifest and that you would do what only you can do. Speak to each one of us individually as well as corporately and captivate us in your word tonight. Captivate us. We'd be drawn in. May your word burst open and come alive. Color in the black and white. May we have so much fun as we are drawn into you. Perform the surgery you've ordained in each of us tonight to make us more like you as we commit ourselves to you in every second in your name. Jesus, we commit this. Amen. I would say tonight as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Not me, not any man with a mic or otherwise. You couldn't pick a better scripture to start with such a statement, although most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the fact that I say that every time before we teach here. And not just I, I've heard Daniel and others say it as well. Our context is simple. There is a church or a series of churches. Galatia is not a city, it's a region. In the center of Turkey, named, by the way, because the people that were there had milky skin. And galactas is the Greek word for milk. So it's the milky region of Turkey. Paul had traveled through there, and we'll see that as we continue in this book, because he was ill. It appeared to be something with his eyes. And he was in bad shape, because he says that you would have pulled out, plucked out your own eyes for me. Now, I assume that's because he would have needed them, not because he was just so hard to look at that they would rather be blind. As Paul had invested in the churches in Galatia, he preached the one thing that Jesus has the market cornered on, grace. And it seems like no matter where we go, it is the one thing the church always seems to turn from. Because grace is something you can never earn or it wouldn't be grace. Grace is something you could never be worthy of. And his love is grace. His salvation is grace. You'll never earn it. God doesn't love you because you're so darn lovable. He loves you because he's love. And the good news is he'll never have to change his mind. There's nothing you can do to blow that. Nothing you can do to change that because it's just who he is. His kindness is not reticent on your behavior, but his kindness is the overflow of a God that is love. Now, this particular church was preached that grace, but the church now has turned from it. Another group of people have come in afterwards. And this particular group that seems to have come in afterwards comes in from more of an intellectual bend comes in from the idea now where things become a little bit more, well, they seem less esoteric and more practical in the beginning. And it really does cater to us because we're proud people. So we love to spar intellectually and we love to postulate and to build and to spin things and to try to look at them from different angles. And by the time we're done, we've made a tie-dye collection of our, of our doctrine. But in the end of it all, we've, we've lost is a relationship that came through grace. You'll never find grace in another religion. 
Because grace comes from a God that loves people because He loves people. Every other religion is a man-made religion, and because it's a man-made religion, it has to make some form of sense. There has to be some form of justice, some form of sort of equilibrium where the world seems to fall off tilt. But there is no equilibrium when it comes to the Scriptures because it's all overboard love, overboard kindness, and overboard grace which we can either receive or deny. And what Paul has done is he's dealing when it comes, it, it, it shoots right off of, or piggybacks right off of 2 Corinthians, where a group of people went into Corinth, set themselves up, built their seminaries, ordained their people, and built their own set of rules, for which Paul, by the way, was disqualified. And the church that was planted by Paul in Corinth then starts questioning Paul's credentials, and Paul is flabbergasted because he looks at him and he's like, Are you kidding me? You are my credentials. The fact that the church exists is that point. And yet, though that church in Corinth, a guy was sleeping with his mother or stepmother and the church was proud of their tolerance, people were suing each other and getting drunk at the, at the communion table, Paul never seems to question their salvation. But this church, he does. And the reason is that those who had set up camp in Galatia went after the foundation. And the foundation is the gift of God by grace through Jesus Christ. That is it. What we see in these chapters, especially as we see in the beginning of this book, the emphasis is on the Father and the Son and how they are in conjunction in the ministry. When we get towards the end of this book, what we're going to see is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a result of it. Look at how it begins. Paul. An apostle. And notice he will constantly be emphasizing everything that happens is by the gift of God, by the grace of God. And that's all grace means is gift, by the way. It will never be the deservedness of the recipient, but based on the kindness of the giver. And understand that he says, I'm an apostle. My calling was not something I've earned. It wasn't given by men. It wasn't something I've earned personally. And he tells us here, an apostle. The word apostle, apostolos, apo means out of, stelos means sent. And the idea was a person was sent out. Ironic if you actually look at the book of Acts, because a group of people that called themselves apostles wound up basically having a sit-in to make sure that they were building their doctrine, but they weren't being sent out anymore to do what God called them to. They weren't the only ones that will be called apostles. By Acts chapter 14, verse 14, by the way, Barnabas and Paul will both be called apostles. And just so you know, Hebrews 3.1 actually says that we are to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus himself was considered an apostle. He was sent out with a mission. His mission was to redeem mankind. Now, an apostle today, should we still have apostles? If you think what an apostle is, is a guy that walks around with a robe and tells everyone what to do, like a pope or something, I would kind of have a problem with it. But if we see Paul in his practicality called an apostle, I get the idea it's a guy who preaches Jesus in a place where people haven't heard about the real Jesus, and then sees a church planted, a work based on that preaching of the gospel. Oh, do we need apostles. We need lots of them. We need guys sent out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see works raised up to help see other people raised up to go out and preach the gospel. For that, I'd say, God, send us apostles. But Paul said that that calling that he had been given was not from men. 
It wasn't like a group of people took a vote and then said, we've all decided you should be an apostle. Or was it through man? Now, please hear me before we go any farther. And who knows if we'll get through the whole chapter, but we can't just skate past these issues. Let me tell you how this works in the average church. And I'm not trying to say us and them. I'm trying to say, how do we make it right? From a, from a Christian perspective, we take this beautiful book, this book, this Bible of Jesus Christ, this autobiographical love story, and we open it up and we say, God, this is our rule book. This is our playbook and you're our coach. Show us how to do this. But if we don't do that, we will draw everything else from either what we make up or what we observe around us or more than likely a little bit of both. And church is one of those areas. So what can happen is this. We can set up church like a business. And the church has done this now to the point where they're contacting business gurus and we have church growth seminars. As if somehow growing a church is more important than growing the people inside it. Because after all, if only a few of you show up, I look bad. Well, no, I don't. It all depends on who I'm trying to present myself to. And I know I've been in those environments where someone says, how big is your church? And I say, Jesus comes. It can't get any bigger. And they're like, oh, you have one of those churches. Bless your heart. And then we went from that to a place previously where the church had gotten quite large. And then all of a sudden, it's interesting, who's, who talks to you that wouldn't have before? And I think this is the most ridiculous politic within Christianity there ever should be. It's the guy that's faithful on his knees and weeping over his people. That's the guy I want to walk with. I don't care what size his church is. If Jesus is there, it's not going to get bigger. That's not a cop-out. That's reality. But here's what happens. If we started, if we were like, hey, you guys, let's start a church tonight. Let's just start calling. This is a brand new thing. We're going to call this church. Well, one of the first things we want to do in any endeavor is, well, what is success? How do we know we're doing it right? Well, we take the book. Well, what is success? Well, according to Scripture, that's obedience. That is not lots of people. If I wanted lots of people in here, we've talked about it and joked about it before, we'd hand out free beer at the door. This place would be packed. But that wouldn't be success. And here comes the danger. So when we set things up, if the church was the thing, in other words, the institution, our denomination or our non-denomination or our church name or whatever, and we really wanted to get it out because that's the way the world works, right? Is you want to have something that is so big and has so many clients and when people think of the product, they actually think of you. Like for instance, in America, we don't drink flavored drink, we drink Kool-Aid. We don't blow our nose on a tissue, we blow our nose on a Kleenex. Well, because that's the brand. And we have that here too. And what happens if the church is like that? Oh, wouldn't that be? No, that isn't it. So if the church was a thing and getting the name out of the church, where's Jesus in that? He kind of gets befuddled somewhere in there and he's kind of an employee. Maybe the CEO, but really he's not because we're really making the decisions. And what happens then is I look and somebody comes in and I go, Allie, you seem to have like a youthful kind of mindset about it. I think you should work in this place. You should work with children. Now, if you know Allie, you know that's not a great idea. But if you go, Allie, well, you kind of their size and you kind of you go like them. Well, that's a different story. And here's the point is that if what we're going to do is the way the world does it, then the church is the thing. And we just try to figure out how you can bless the church. Does that make sense? In which case, then, we can take a vote to decide where you should serve. And you see this happen so often. But what happens? People burn out because they're really not in a place where they are actually blessed by God in overflow. They just want to serve 
And they go, well, we took a vote and we decided this is where the need was, so you should fill it. But Jesus didn't do that. What Jesus did is he walked among and he invested among. And he walked in a place where people could fall in love with God. So out of the overflow of that, he could send them out to do what he's called them to do. And that's entirely different. And this is the point. That when Paul was pastoring a church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he says, now set him and Barnabas aside because I have a different work that I have specifically called them to. And the church went, hmm, well, then we should fast and pray some more because it isn't just that the Holy Spirit said he had a work. Well, what about the when and the how? And that's the part we can fill in, right? And that could become dangerous too. Interesting, back before that in Acts 6, there was a problem because some widows were being neglected because they weren't traditionally Hebrew. And so what he did is he called the, the 12, summoned those disciples and said, you guys, who do you know among you is so full of the Spirit of God that are such a person of character, of faith, that we can, we can tend to this. And what happens is you start seeing people that because they fall in love with Jesus, you can't help but serve. You don't need a badge. You don't need a title. You don't need a position. What you need is a love for God. And then when you fall in love with God, you fall in love with the church. And when you fall in love with the church, you fall in love with fellowship, you want to do something to bless them. And you start doing stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like the, the pastor gets to look and go, you know, I noticed every time you're in this situation, I see a spiritual gift manifest. And that is so radically different. You know why? Because it takes more time, it takes more investment, and we have to actually get to know each other, and that's kind of scary. That means you're going to realize that your pastor is really human. If you haven't figured that out by now, he, he really is. And I'm not being humble, I'm being honest. Some of you are nodding a little too much. Anyway, so follow me in this. So when Paul starts this whole thing, and again, I remind you, the whole idea is that these guys had set up their institution and they're experts and they're going to be critical and they're going to be smart and they're going to have their seminaries and they're going to have their degrees and you're like, you have a doctorate in divinity. And I don't want to diss you if you have one, but I, I'm still trying to figure out how can you be, how can you be a doctor divine? But, but anyways, but, but I look at this and I realize Paul's saying, look, at this is not something that has to, that can be the work of man. It has to be the work of God. And this is the danger is we get that way. And so listen, the church can equip and we're supposed to be equipping what God has called. I can't call you into something. God calls you into something. But I know that if I can give you the word and impart upon you a passion and a love for God, oh, let's fall in love with Him, you'll find yourself doing your calling without me having to tell you anything. So the church has a purpose. And part of the, here's the blessing, part of the blessing of having a church is that when you're getting new in your calling and you're starting to develop it, you have people to experiment on. Because they have to forgive you. They're Christians. Now, I'm not talking about experiment like you're getting bizarre and weird on people, but it's like, you know, I feel like the Lord may be giving me a word for you. These are the people who should be able to test it out by Scripture. And you go, I'm just, I, the thought of that makes me perspire. Awesome. Well, get over it and try it. If the Lord puts something on your heart, unless it's like, well, that girl's cute. I think the Lord's put on my heart. Well, yeah, we're going to be looking for you if that's the case. But I don't think the Lord's putting that on your heart. But when we have these gifts, it's like, I just want to, I just want to go out and share Jesus with people. Oh, man, well then do it. But I didn't get permission. Okay, you have permission. Do what the Lord's called you. Now you have permission. Go do what he called you to. And Paul says, look at this apostleship that God's given me. God sent me out. And Paul has a very cool, unique experience. We'll get into that. We'll see whether it happens tonight or not. 
But when he does, he says, look at this being sent out to go and preach Jesus, to which the, the Galatians were recipients of that. No group of people ordained me for that first. God did. He called me. And God was the one who moved. It wasn't like I earned this. It wasn't like someone else voted me into this. It wasn't like I grabbed a hold of it. It grabbed a hold of me. Isn't that what Paul said? That I want to actually lay hold of that that which has been laid a hold of, which laid a hold of me. I want to grab a hold of that which grabbed me. Could you imagine if we were like that, friends? But here's the dangerous thing. What that means is you're going to actually have to have a walk with Christ yourself. You're going to actually have to read the Word of God yourself and let God speak to you in the Word and not just wait for someone to teach you it. When I read the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts that is trying to read the, the book of Isaiah on a scroll and Philip comes across up to the chariot and he says, hey, what you reading? And the guy says, how would I know until someone explains it to me? That's failure in my opinion. If you think, how am I going to understand the scripture unless someone explains it to me? I think that the, the church has failed if that's what we're at. And we haven't even gotten through verse 1, so we might want to pray some more. Listen, Paul. I'm writing to you guys, but let me make sure before he even starts, he's on the defensive. Man didn't do this. Man didn't ordain this. God made this happen. God made this choice. God made this calling. My thing was just to respond to that calling. I had a choice, and the choice was I said yes. It was not from men. It was not through men. It was through Jesus Christ. And it was not only through Jesus Christ, but notice the conjunction and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And I love this because you get this Jesus who is my Lord and my Father who is my Resurrector. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. And when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, He killed who I was to resurrect a brand new creation. Please hear me. This becomes why most people, I, I believe, don't want to say yes to Jesus when you actually do share with them the truth. They know the cross. They just don't know the resurrection. They know the part where it's like, oh, if I'm going to join that church, I'm going to be part of Jesus or whatever. Like, I can't sleep with my girlfriend. I can't do drugs. I can't go clubbing or I can't whatever. And like, that's what they know. But they don't know that God is not a God of nots. He's a God of instead ofs. And I look at Jesus and I realize the testimony of Jesus, the dying on the cross is half the story. I don't serve a dead Savior. I serve a risen Lord. And if I can grab a hold of that, I realize that I'd say, you know, you know why I'm glad to lay those things at the cross? Because what God gives me on the other side in the resurrection is so much better. It was, it was like drinking salt water to quench my thirst on one side, and on the other side, God has made me a fountain. Verse 2. To all the brethren and all the brethren who are with me, which tells me that Paul is not writing uniquely from his own perspective, but this is him and a group of people that are with him. To the churches, notice plural, of Galatia. Paul's greeting. Grace to you and peace. Notice again the two of them. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age, from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the funny part. By the time we get done with verse 5, we will have covered high. That's really how we look at it today. The greeting Paul gives is the most common greeting he would give. It's the Siamese twins of the salutation for him. Grace and peace. They're, not in, uh, they're never in un, uh, the other order. They're grace and then peace for good reason. And I want you to recognize this is the whole of Christianity in two words. Grace and peace. Interesting because he actually also presents the two characters here. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince us. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal this. The Holy Spirit's job is to goad us or prod us. The Father and the Son at work to redeem me, to give me this grace and peace. And it tells me this way. What I read about the Father, God the Father had a will. The will of God the Father, by the way, was to deliver me from this present evil age through the gift of Jesus Christ who gave Himself for my sins. And here's the way it works. So, grace. Charis, like we say charismatic, a charismata. It just means gifted. That's what it means. Charis, gift. You can't say grace and actually assume it's something you earn because the word means gift. Anything you work to get is not a gift. At that point, it's a paycheck. But to get a gift would mean, again, the requirement is on the kindness of the giver. Now, God wants to give you something. The Father has a will. Now, please understand something, and let me go right at the jugular for that. And again, don't just believe me on any of this. Search the Scriptures. Prove me right or wrong, but hear me out. The word will, philema. The word will is not special secret plan. As so many of us, young in our faith, and often before we actually see the way God plays it, is that we almost do it that way. What happens is, is we get psychotic about this. God, what's your special secret plan? Think about how sick this would be. I have two children. And imagine if one of my children woke up this morning and went, I don't know what dad's plan is for the day. And I don't know if he's really going to tell me. But if I can kind of, like Sherlock, discover some hints and some points, maybe I'll get it roughly right. And if I don't, bam, he's going to whack me. What kind of relationship is that? But we do that. What's the will of God? I mean, do I wear the red shirt or the green shirt? And if I wear the wrong shirt, I know I'm going to spill something on it today. Do I do this or that? No, hey, there are times where God has a specific purpose. But please hear me. The word philema means pleasure. And this is what freed me up so much when it talks about, God, what's your will? Because instead of just saying, God, what's your special secret plan? And hopefully I have my little Bible decoder ring to see. Instead, how about God? What would please you? You know what's interesting? I get so I could get so caught up in God. Do I take this job or that job? Do I take this house or that house? Or do I go to this place or do I go to that place for lunch? And yet, I'm so neglecting the things that really please Him: my surrender, my obedience, my love for others. As if God's like, do you really think I'm more concerned about whether you go Mexican or Italian today for lunch versus the fact you're not forgiving the person you should be forgiving? You're not serving the way you should be serving. You're not, I've been convicting you on a sin and you're denying me on that, but you're going to ask me whether you wear the blue shoes or the boots? You really think that's where God is? I wonder why people think we're daft if that's the way we present Him. 
But understand, the idea is that God has a pleasure. We have a pleasable God. I mean, a God that actually can be like, yes. And I'll tell you what pleases Him. You being His. Nothing pleases God more than you being His. There is nothing my children can do that will please me more than just being my children, than wanting to be with me, than having a relationship with me. All of the other stuff, I mean, if my children left and did all kinds of stuff but had nothing to do with me, but they were busy trying to do stuff for me, would that bless me more than me just spending time with them, enjoying them? I watch movies I would never have watched otherwise. Not because they're horribly sinful, but they're just not my kind of movies. Just because I could sit with them. I've played board games that I probably wouldn't, well, I personally probably would never have chosen to play just to be with them. And we bought a dinky little foosball table at our house. It's not totally a real foosball table. It's kind of like a foo table. But, but, but I get to play it with my 11-year-old, and that makes it priceless. It's diamonds in my sight because of it. And I understand why the Father would say, before Jesus had healed anyone, preached any sermons, or raised the dead, or done any of that, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, because He's my Son. That's why I'm so pleased. And there's our word. God has a pleasure. And His pleasure is to make you His. The way that He does it is through Jesus, who gave Himself for us. Notice it doesn't say He gave Himself to us. He gave Himself for us. Because there is a price that needs to be paid for our sins because God is a righteous judge who allowed one provision if someone were perfect without sin for themselves to pay for and they chose to step in your place, God would allow that as substitute. The problem is we are all sinners and the only one qualified is God himself and thus clothed in flesh, Jesus steps on earth and redeems us. The gift he gives us we could never earn He chose to step in our stead to take our punishment. And to me, the most insane thing in the world is someone that thinks that they can stare God in the face and say, you know what? I'd rather pay it myself. I'm sure that'll be okay with you. Imagine to see the bloodied hands of Jesus. To see the pierced side and the wounds on the back that is raw and his arms out of joy. The, the, the lamb that had been slaughtered before the foundation of the world. And to stare in the face of that and then look at the Father and say, what else you got? And we need to recognize that the way that we get peace is through that grace. The word peace, and then we'll put this together. Erenes. The word means, literally comes from the word iras, which means to join. See, the problem is worldly peace is not the same as godly peace. Worldly peace is cosmic tranquility. Remove all of the discord from my life. Isn't that what it is? Peace is like we put on a little like new age music in the background, something with some chirping birds and some old violins that are artificial on a synthesizer. And we just, you know, it's like slow and it slows down so our heart rate drops. And it's like, all right, God, whatever you do, let my kids pass out for the next 45 minutes. I'm just going to sit here and 
Uh, and we'll drink and we'll smoke and we'll stare at movies and we'll do whatever to try to force this like thing where we feel like for the moment we've escaped the untranquil world around us. But that's not godly peace. But I understand if you don't understand the peace of God, why you would be busy chasing after its substitutes. What I don't understand is how if you have the peace of God, you would ever want to go back to that again. I, I mean, I don't blame a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ for getting wasted. I don't think it's good, of course. I know it's crazy and it destroys them. But that's the closest thing they have to peace that they're aware of. But you were created. You were created to have a relationship with your Creator. And until you fulfill that, your soul will always be at discord. It will always be at discord. You know that even as Christians, if you're ever fighting something God's trying to do in your life, He wants to do something in your life. And you're like, no, no, no. There's no peace in that. Because you are butting heads with God. You're loggerheads. And there is the idea that you're not joined together. Isidro turns to Lucas and he says something in Portuguese that none of us understand except Bruno. And Bruno goes, oh, 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 no, you didn't. And then Lucas is like, what? And he turns something back. And the two of them are like looking at each other and they're screaming and they're yelling at each other. And Bruno and his you know, wonderful knowledge and wisdom comes over and he's like brothers and he speaks Portuguese to them and then all of a sudden the two of them look at each other and they realize and then they hug each other and we don't know what in the world went on except this, that the two of them were doing this and now they're like this. And now they're at peace. And spiritually, this is what we've done our whole life is this with God. And the crazy part is what God's saying is I love you, take my love. It's a gift. And you're like, I want to earn it. God's like, it's a gift. But I'm not a good person. Or maybe if I were a good enough person, God's like, how could it be a gift if you're a good enough person? But I want to earn it. That's not grace. But if I clean up my act a little bit, that's not grace. But if I stop smoking and I stop swearing and I stop doing this, hey, let me just say, God's a good fisherman. You've heard me say it. He catches his fish and then he cleans them. You're trying to, I mean, you were clay, trying as clay to turn into this beautiful thing that the potter wants to make you. Think that through. Apostles against grace and it's peace. You can't have peace without grace. And if you have God's grace, you're going to have peace. So here I am going like this and I'm like, what will stop this from happening? And God says, let me give you my gift. What is your gift? It's not a get out of hell free card. God says, it's my son. That's the gift. Jesus willingly gives himself up to pay our price. And it pleased the Father. And the reason it pleased the Father is because He loves you so much. All He really wants is you. And you're saying, but God, 
what about this or that? And it's like, you know, imagine there you are. Imagine, you know, Daniel meets the perfect girl, Shikniqua, and she's like the thing, you know. And then Daniel's like, yeah, you the thing. And she's like, she plays drums, and, but not as good as Daniel. And, and he loves her. And, you know, it's like, and finally he's like, you know what? I think Daniel proves his love. He proves his commitment. He proves his character. He proves his faithfulness. And then he finally says, will you be mine for the rest of my life? And she's like, yeah, but what are you going to do with my china collection? And you're like, really? This whole thing's over some plates? She's like, well, you know, really, I mean, can, well, can I bring them or not? Because, I mean, I'm not really sure about this deal until we talk about that. Wouldn't Daniel be a little insulted? No, I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with being, that finding plates are important. I, I don't want to dis sentiment here. But when the things we throw out at God... But God, what are you going to do with this? Or what are you going to do with that? Like, you know, if, if you had my heart, God, we wouldn't even be talking about these things. It really wouldn't be the issue. Like, God, what do you really want? He's like, I want your love. Well, what does that look like? God's like, I want your time. I want your attention. I want your heart. Hey, you give me that. The other stuff's going to fall in the line. You and I both know that. But Paul says, listen. I wish you grace. Do you remember when it really was about that? Do you remember when it was about Jesus? If it's not about Jesus, it won't be about grace. No matter what it is. You want to get caught up in the end time stuff? You want to get caught up in whether God is sovereign and whether man has a choice? And I'd say, I believe in both. And you go, how do you say, you know, how do you believe in both? I said, because God didn't tell me I had to pick a side. You want to start arguing over whether you want to be liturgical or you want to be charismatic or whatever. It's never going to be about grace if you take your eyes off of Jesus because Jesus is where grace is found. You're not going to find grace in any other religion because you're too busy earning it. Every other religion, you make the move and hopefully something responds profitably to you. Here, God made the move and he wants you to respond to him. There's a radical difference. It's everything. That's the foundation here. Paul says, look, everything that I am is because of Jesus. And therefore, everything I want for you is about Jesus. A church without Jesus can function here in this country and in other countries as well, can function in so many different ways. And that's what makes me sick to my stomach. When Jesus talks about the church at Laodicea, he's not in the church anymore. Remember, he's knocking at the door. I assume he's not knocking at the door to get out because he says, if you're willing to let me in, I'll come and sup with you. We'll come and we'll fellowship. Which means that the church knocked Jesus or, or kicked Jesus out of the church, his church. That's kicking Jesus out of his house, you, were, you realize, right? And here's the most amazing thing is that if it was any one of us, we would not be knocking. We would have grabbed a wrecking ball. Said, yeah, you want to see what knocking looks like? Check this out. Imagine you get kicked out and you're like, okay, I'll be back. And it's not a, that's a threat now. And Paul says, listen, if we're going to get into this letter, we better get this straight. It's grace and peace. That's it. And imagine if that's what I brought to people. Grace and peace. God wants peace with you. By the way, just so you know, You've made yourself his enemy because you're self-reliant, you're self-sustaining, or thinking that you are. You're self-centered. 
You're like, well, how do you know that? Isn't that judgmental? Hey, so am I. We all are. The Bible makes that clear. There's no one righteous. No, not one. None of us really look for him. You know what we want? We want the things of God without him. That's what we want. That's why these counterfeits are so marketed. They, in essence, promise the things of God without him. Paul says, listen, God wants peace with you. And there's only one way to get it. And that is to take his gift. And if you take his gift, you will finally have rest for your soul. I've watched some people that I love dearly go through some of the most horrible situations in the last couple months here. And I've watched them have peace that they could never have any other way. Because it, it certainly wasn't about the fact that their life was absent of discord. It was about the fact that they knew who the Prince of Peace was. And they knew that the real peace needed to be inside, not outside. So hear me as we read through this. And by the way, I have a feeling that's as far as we're going to get today. So in other words, Bruno, so you know, this will be called a Sermon on High. All right, so... Paul, who they all know, an apostle, which they have experienced the church is being planted there. Can I remind you, this wasn't from men, nor was it through men. I am not a pastor because I made it through some seminary. Now, I'm not dissing every seminary, although I can say that many of them are quite very much cemeteries. They're really not seminaries at all. What they're seminating are things you really do not want in your garden. But the calling God places on your life becomes part of who you are. I'm a pastor everywhere I go. You might want to pray for those that are darn interested in having a pastor around them. And I've never for a second not loved what I get to do. But it's because it's what he made me. And the more I become like Jesus, which is my heart's desire, well, the more that I'll be a better one. Because he himself is the apostle and high priest of my confession. This apostleship that Paul had again is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the vehicle to his calling and through God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus to slay who we were, the Father to raise up a new creation. Paul's not writing alone. He's writing with brothers with him who are, by the way, in the same position as him. And he's writing to a handful of churches or many churches in a region called Galatia in central Turkey. For which then he says, Grace to you and peace from God. God's the one who gives it. God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself. Here's our giving, our gift. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. If Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, should we look like this present evil age if he came to deliver us from it? The moment you said yes to Jesus, if you have, he starts making you look different than the world, which means if you try to still look like the world after you said yes to Jesus, you are fighting God's Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. Have a nice day. 
But he came to deliver us from this present evil age in full accordance with the pleasure of the Father or according to the will of God the Father, of our God the Father, for His glory, not for ours. And when your eyes are off of Jesus and anything else qualifies you, your eyes will be on you. My eyes will be on me. But when my eyes are on Jesus, it's going to be about Him. When a church's eyes are on Jesus, it's going to be about Him. We don't worship people. We worship God. To whom be the glory, not just now, but forever and ever. Amen. As we go to prayer, Let me ask you, how much of your Christianity actually is Jesus at the center of it? How much of it really is Christianity? How much of it's just peripheralanity? It was the publican who stood up and said, God, I thank you I am not like other men. Which was, by the way, the common prayer of the Pharisee of the day. He used to thank God that he was not a woman, he was not a dog, and he was not a Gentile. And if they're not like that publican, I fast. I pray. Twice a day. I mean, do you realize how much I do for you, God? And Jesus, who I remind you, is not just the representative of God, but God speaking to us. Because God looked at that thing like it was a joke. It's a loose paraphrase, but don't just believe me. Because that man didn't walk out of there with any benefit. Because there was another man, though. And he couldn't even look up. He beat his breast out of grief. He said, God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. They both needed mercy, and they both needed forgiveness. But only one of them was really aware of it. The other one had eye trouble. I give, I tithe, I do this, I do that. He had eye trouble. He didn't see things clearly at all. Where are you at tonight? Here's the beauty. You fall in love with this Jesus, everything falls into line. Everything. Everything. That doesn't mean that your life isn't without discord. doesn't mean that they're without, it's not without challenges. Paul had more challenges than I'm pretty confident any of us will have, or maybe even corporately all of us will have. But he didn't lose his peace in it. As we go to prayer, just my prayer for those of us who claim to know him, grace and peace. God says, He promises in Isaiah to keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on Him. Can you imagine? You keep your eyes on Him. Perfect peace. Do you remember? As we go to prayer, I said, this is, I'm such a, you know, it's like Paul. He says, finally, in Philippians in chapter 2, it's a four-chapter book, by the way. When Jesus talked about the houses that were built on the sand and on the rock, 
One that did what he said and one who didn't. They both heard what he said, by the way. You all heard what I said tonight. You all heard the scripture here. The issue is not whether you've heard it. There are going to be those who are going to respond upon it and there are going to be those who don't. For those who do respond to what God says, not just what I say. Jesus is there like ones who built their house upon a rock. The rock. And he says, in both cases, the rains descended, the floods rose up, and the winds beat against the house. And here's the point. Jesus didn't say when you built your house upon the rock, the rains didn't fall, the floods didn't rise, or the wind didn't blow. The variable was not whether there would be storms. The variable was whether the house would fall. The peace is in a house that doesn't fall because it's built on a rock. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus, my prayer is that God would get us back to the epicenter of grace and peace. Grace, the gift of Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father and peace, our relationship with Him as a result. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ or you're not sure you have, you can walk out of here, sure. Well, what do I have to do? Receive the gift. How I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I ask you to listen. At the end of which, if you agree, I ask you to simply give a confident amen. What you are saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. That's what you're saying. I agree. Hey, I'll take that. That's it. That's mine now. Pray with me, would you please? God, thank you for your grace and peace. I mean, these terms now become so, like, Christianese that we don't even know the definition anymore. And it becomes so sad because the cults are so quick to redefine them and in essence make them the opposite of what they are. Because nobody but the true biblical Christian is going to be able to really cash in on the grace that you've given, the gift of your Son, for which we have any form of access to you, but we have not just any access, we have an intimate adopted, familial relationships with you, Father. And we can come to you at any moment and enjoy you and experience your delight. And I pray first for every believer in here, myself included, that you get us back to the epicenter. That today, with a simple high in, verse, in five verses, we do a foundation check. Is the foundation of our building, Lord, and you know our hearts can deceive us, but you know, are they really Jesus? Because you tell us no other foundation can be laid other than that of Jesus Christ. He's not just our foundation, but also our chief cornerstone. So, Lord, Father, I pray for every one of us here that you would secure, because the cornerstone holds the entire building together. Lord, we don't want to make Jesus a decorative stone in the garden, but our entire life is to be built upon that stone. And I confess to you, Lord, I can think I'm doing that when I'm not. And Lord, that can be in my calling. That could just be, Lord, in my Christianity. But tonight here, make our hearts right with you.
instead of us busy striving to gain and then striving to maintain, may we be caused instead to celebrate because of this great kindness you've shown us. That we could be so awestricken as we read in 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. Oh God, that we would be like that. That we would be just in awe and wonder. I mean, Paul's going to be marveling here by the time we get back to this text. He's going to be marveling at the fact that they're turning away from this grace for this ridiculous non-gospel thing called a gospel that's not a gospel at all to replace the true one. Don't let us be guilty of any part of that. Don't let us be guilty of thinking, well, now that you saved us, that we can be lazy or, or uncaring, but rather out of the love that we've received and out of the kindness that you've shown us and out of that mercy that we are to take then and overflow and bless other people with that love. But also, Lord, we don't want to think, well, now that you've paid for all the other sins, now we have to work it ourselves. As if somehow we want to compete with each other to be a better child versus enjoying you because you've adopted us. So, Lord, please, tonight, purify our hearts. Get us back to that core. Take us down to the foundation and make it right. Secure it strong to build the sanctuary you have ordained our life to be. And right now, if you can hear my voice and you are not sure you've ever said yes to this gift, or you're sure you haven't, I ask you to listen to this prayer. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. God in heaven, I'm a sinner. But you're a God of grace. And you love me anyways. And you want me anyways. And before the world was, you already had a plan to redeem me. And that plan was your son, Jesus the Christ, who, living a sinless life, offered, volunteered to take the punishment I deserved and all humanity deserved. Took it upon himself and died on the cross just like Scripture promised. He was buried and just like your Scripture promised, three days later you rose him from the dead. And now you give me the choice to receive that payment on my behalf. And I say yes. To do so, obviously I confess Jesus is my ransom, my payment, my redeemer. But at his resurrection now, as I, the clay of my life, handed to you now to be spun into what you choose, then I confess you as my Lord, Jesus. That you would then make of my life what you wish. And I recognize first and foremost that is that we would have peace. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to say yes. So tonight, on this night, I accept your gift, confessing Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Make me yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, I just pray now as we prepare to just enjoy each other and prepare to head out into the world around us. May we be then beacons of light in an otherwise dark world, harbingers of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
where we could proclaim grace and peace. Let it not just be the foundation. Let it be the banner we wave. In Jesus' name.